Today's gospel is one you're probably all familiar with. We continue here on Lent 4 with the prodigal son. And there's lots of ways that you can preach the prodigal son. There's plenty in this text to gather and to go over again and again. For example, we can look at the reaction of the older son. We can look at the father. We can look at the younger son. Jesus' parable of the prodigal son is a story with many applications. But this morning, as we are in the fourth Sunday of Lent, we're going to look at four different things. Number one, in this we see the wickedness of humanity. The wickedness of humanity. Number two, we see the entrapping cruelty of sin. The entrapping cruelty of sin. Number three, we see the hardness in the heart of the older brother. A manifestation of pride. The hardness of heart in the older brother. And number four, we see the heart of the father. And in that heart, extravagant love for someone who doesn't deserve it. In a lot of ways, this corresponds to what we're doing here in Lent, right? We've been talking about living a lifestyle of contrition, a lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle in alignment with our Lord, fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil constantly, as we do as Christians. And so there's also four other things that we can take from this text. We can see in this text that contrition, the lamenting of sins. We see confession, the speaking of acknowledgement of that sin. And then we see satisfaction and justice. And finally, absolution and forgiveness. You know, today is called Rose Sunday or Refreshment Sunday in the church calendar. Um, there's a reason that the veil and the verse on the altar is rose and our, our um, stoles are rose today. And, and churches that uh, are better off, they're, all of the pyramids on the altar and the pulpit and the lectern would be rose. Um, but we take this Sunday in Lent to rejoice in the Father's forgiveness. And it's an acknowledgement by the church that we need, we need a break in Lent. <laughs> that we need to remember that we're striving towards a victory that's already been won, that's been won by Jesus. And so as we enter into the depth of Lent coming next week with Passion Sunday, we're bolstered, we're refreshed, we rejoice in the fact that God has forgiven us. So don't lose sight of that. That's why the prodigal son story is scheduled for today. Let's look at it together. So open with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. You can open in your Bibles or you can look at the scripture insert. Chapter 15, verse 11. And he, that is Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. There was a man who had two sons. Who are the two sons here with the father? 
and who is the Father. Let's look at the background of this so that we can better understand it. So when we look at the Father in this parable, it's important that you see that this is partaking of a structure that is very foreign to us. Right? The Father is the pater familiaris. He is not just the Father, but He is the business runner. Right? He's the CEO of the family business. This is how it worked in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's not like you just could go get a job anywhere. Right? You were part of a system. And so this father is that type of father, the power of life and death. In fact, until Rome, the father of the family had the power to actually execute his own son if he wanted to. This is much grander than our idea of a father. He's the boss, the insurer, the governor, the king, rolled all into one. Now look at verse 12. The younger of the sons said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. You may have noticed in reading this that that there is a lot more going on in that one verse too because of the first verse. So according to Jewish law, the older son is given a double portion of the father's assets. In this system, right, the older son gets a double portion according to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 16, where we read, And when he wills his property to his sons... He must not give the rights of the firstborn to the son of the wife he loves in preference to his actual firstborn, the son of the wife that he does not love. He must acknowledge the son of his unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all that he has, that the son of the first sign of his father's strength, the right of the firstborn, belongs to him. So what's going on in Deuteronomy? We're talking about a man with multiple wives, right? And what this is guarding against is guarding the integrity of the family. It's guarding the integrity of the business, right? If you don't have this line going from firstborn to firstborn, you lose the assets of the family, and the business can become insolvent. All right? So this is very functional in the Old Testament. It might strike some of you as unfair, And you know what? It is. (laughs) It is unfair. But it's for a greater good. It's for a greater good. You see, in the ancient world, the oldest son not, not only got the double portion of the family assets, he also had the double responsibility. So, in addition to running the business, the family farm, the family vineyard, he also had the responsibility of caring for everybody in the family. Women, for example. This is why to be a widow or to be an orphan is such a devastating thing in biblical times. You can't go out and just get a job, right? In biblical times. You have to be part of a system. And so the older son had responsibility for the whole family, for everybody. And not just for the family, but for the land, for the livestock, for the servants. 
there's this responsibility that he's to provide with that wealth. And so the wealth is given to him so that he can do it. So in this case, this father has two sons, we read. And the second son would get a third of his father's total assets. Think about that for a moment. And this is a third of everything. So a third of the property, a third of the land, a third of the livestock, a third of everything worthwhile to the family. Liquidating this would be extremely painful. You're starting to see the picture, perhaps. Liquidating this would be extremely painful. Even today, where we don't have necessarily family businesses set up this way, think about this. What if your son came to you and he said to you, you're as good as dead to me, and I want my inheritance now. Liquidate my third of the house. Liquidate my third of your life insurance policy. Liquidate all of your inheritance so that I can have it now. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see how difficult that would be? Do you see the peril that the younger son puts the family at in his request? This isn't just write me a check so that I can go party for a while. And that's the point. The younger son is saying to his father, you're as good as dead to me. In fact, it'd be better that you were dead so that I can have your assets. Bishop of Ravenna, Peter Chrysologus, says, writing in the 4th century, the son is as impatient as the father is kind. He's weary of the father's own life. Since he cannot shorten his father's life, he works to get possession of his father's property. He is not content to possess his father's wealth in the company of his father. And he deserved to lose the privileges of a son. He deserves to lose the privileges of the son. He's breaking his father's heart and he's breaking his father's bank and he's breaking his vow with his family. That's what's going on in that one verse. Now look at verse 13. Not many days later, the son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. If you look at the Greek behind the word spend here in verse 14, it's a very particular Greek word. It's diaskorpitsio. Diaskorpitsio. And it's a farming word. It means to throw around the grain. It's a method of throwing around the grain so that the chaff falls out and that you can collect the grain. It's also used by ancient historians to describe armies that get routed and just scatter to the four winds. Right? So that's the idea that's going around here. That he spent the money, he blew it. A more literal English translation, if you were to translate it from, directly from the Greek, would be to throw money around. Right? We still have that, that idea. That guy threw money around. 
right? That's what's going on here. And think about all the money that he threw around, a third of his father's assets. If it was for sale, the younger son bought it. Pleasures of all kinds, fulfilling every desire that he wanted instantly, wanting things that he had, could buy, and then enjoying them. The older son, if the older son is to believe there in verse 30, we read that, um, that he even blew this on people, right? On, on, on women and pleasures. For a brief time, he had his rule without his father's rule. But then what happens? It runs out. From the top to the bottom, he's living lavishly for a moment, only to be poor. Only to be poor for an eternity. To live like a servant, eating the pods of pigs. An unclean animal, remember, in the Jewish tradition. So he's below a Jewish servant. He's, in fact, like a Gentile slave living with animals. Jesus highlights the pods that the pigs ate in this. And it says something about how poor the man was, for only the poorest of the poor would live on such food. Scholar R.C. Lenski writes, So the fancy gilding and the deception of his lifestyle were gone. The galling disgrace and the deadly heartache were left. But there is good in the young man's suffering, notice. You know, in our world, when we talk about suffering, we always think of it as evil or bad, don't we? It's always seen as a peril to be endured. But why do we suffer? Why do we feel pain? At the most basic level, it's so we stop doing what we're doing. When my two-and-a-half-year-old or one-year-old touches something that's hot, the pain hits him or her, and he takes his hand back. Ouch! That hurts! No one needs to teach them that. The pain teaches them that. Now, Leah and I try to keep it from happening. But notice, pain is not bad. It's good. It can be a teacher. And suffering can be a teacher. And what does the prodigal son learn from what he's done? What is his pain teaching him? His pain is teaching him that his lifestyle is bad. That his lifestyle has yielded disgrace and pain. And that he should turn away from that lifestyle. Look how he comes to himself. Verse 17. Literally, the Bible says, when he came to himself, right, like the cloud was lifted, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? What's he saying? Even the slaves live better than me. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat, treat me as one of your hired servants. Here, friends, we see the penitence and the confession of the prodigal son. While pain can be crippling, it can also drive us to repent. It's a reckoning with reality. 
Now, as 21st century Americans, we all are probably thinking to ourselves, well, of course the Father is going to take him back. But we've got to ask ourselves, would that have been the case in Jesus' time? Remember Deuteronomy chapter 21, where we read in verse 18, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders in the gate of the town. And they shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Okay, so far this is explaining the situation the prodigal son's in. Verse 21, And the men of the town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. So do you see the gravity of the situation that the son is in here in the parable? This isn't just like, oh, my dad loves me. I'll go back. Right? This is truly a risk to go back and to throw himself on the mercy of his father in the system. The son's going back to the, to the father is a plea for mercy. He deserves, deserves not just to be disowned, but according to the law, to die for his actions as a disobedient and stubborn son. And the Jews know this because the Jews know the Old Testament. And the son knows it too, of course. Look at verse 18. The son says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. It's a double violation. It's a rebellion against God's order, and it's a rebellion against his family. But the Jews and the Son also knows that God desires not the death of sinners, but that they may turn from their wickedness and live. They know Ezekiel 18:23, where God says to his prophet, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Rather, shouldn't he turn from his way and live? And again in Ezekiel 33:11, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked may turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back, O man, from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Why will you die, O house of Israel? So what we are witnessing here in Jesus' story of the prodigal son, is that story of rebellion, sin, repentance, confession, and restoration that yields death. And friends, this is the story of humanity. This is the story of humanity. We are rebellious. We are wicked. We deserve death. And but for the Father's love and mercy... That's what we would get. But verse 17 is the hinge, the turning point of repentance, the relief of pain. Verse 18 is the act of contrition. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you and before you. Verse 21 is his confession. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. And verse 25 is all about absolution. Absolution. 
that they kill the fatted calf. I'm sorry, that's verse 23. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate, says the Father. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. In this story, the firstborn son cannot stand the fact that the father would take back his rebellious son. Where is the satisfaction? Where is the justice in this? He blew a third of the family fortune. He's put us all in danger. Do you see the point of the older son? Do you see the gravity of the situation? Where is the satisfaction of justice? Well, where are we in Lent? What's next Sunday? Passion Sunday. You see, this exists in the context of Jesus paying the price. The Father's forgiveness out of His heart of love is costly forgiveness. It is costly grace. But, it's not just costly to Jesus. I want you to see that. This grace is costly to the Father as well. The Father gives up His Son to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the Son, Jesus Christ, willingly takes that death upon Himself in love with the Father. You see, Jesus' point here is to show in no uncertain terms just how much God loves you and me. Just how much God loves you and me. That every act of rebellion, every act that we commit, every sin that we commit, because we're sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, has been crucified with Christ. Remember what St. Paul writes to the Roman church in chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, on this refreshment Sunday, Jesus' story about the prodigal son is about you. It's about me. You know, a lot of times people will say, well, well I'm the older son. Perhaps. No, you're not. Every one of us is the younger son. None of us is faithful to the Father. Each one of us is the younger son. Each one of us is the prodigal. You and I have rebelled against God. In Philippians chapter 2, we read about how God solves this problem, the problem of our insolence, the problem of our rebellion. Despite all of that, the Father loves us as St. Paul writes there in chapter 2, Christ Jesus, who though He was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about a living, living a life of repentance and a life that bears fruit in keeping with repentance. We've seen the double cost that this is to God to restore us. Today, the church invites you to rejoice. 
Rejoice because not of the depth of, this, of your sin, but rejoice because the depth of God's love is greater. For just as the Father in the story runs to the Son, so the Heavenly Father runs to us, fully aware of the cost to Himself. The love, that love, friends, should not be taken for, taken for granted. Oh, that's true. But we, we should react to it not just with gratitude, not just as grateful sons, but with great joy. It's something to rejoice in, you see. Don't let your pride separate you from that love. Are there areas of your life that you're still wandering and squandering your inheritance? Are there areas of your life, that life which, remember, God has given you, the gifts that God has given you, where you're still rebellious against Him? Turn away, O man. Turn from your wicked ways. See the love of the Father. Come to Him with that contrite heart and confess your sins and accept the grace of the blood. Embrace His forgiveness. Do you see, the final part of the prodigal son story is not in the story, but it's in who's telling the story. The final part of the prodigal son story is that this is told by Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Friends, know that you are his and he is yours. Let all yourself embrace that love and rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that though we are completely undeserving. You have loved us so much as to send your Son to die for us. Lord, we ask that we would see that costly grace and that we would rejoice in your great love, which is beyond our understanding. Help us, Lord, to act in obedience, seeking to please you with a renewed heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.